Good morning, Emmanuel. It's good to see you all this morning behind this big pulpit. I'm telling you, thank you, uh, Tim, for the design work and our brother Wes for building this thing. It is beautiful. Thank you for being here. We're here gathered in the name of Jesus this morning. We're here because of the truth that was sung. We sang together these words, your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. That's why we're here. We're able to be here and we can rejoice together. We miss our pastor, Ryan, and pray for him as he preaches this morning, trusting that the Lord will bring him back to us from the great north where it's cold, I'm sure, colder than here. He asked me to consider and to pray over uh, bringing a message from James chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there, James chapter 3. We've been going through, Pastor Ryan has been preaching a series of messages uh, centered on what the Word of God has to teach us about marriage, what it teaches us about the relationship between husband and wife and wife and husband and children in the mixed, where the Lord blesses in that way. And so as we look today, I'm reminded that uh, there is a day coming up very soon that could be very important. It's not spring break. It's not the first day of Major League Baseball. It's not the spaghetti dinner that's coming up, though that is very important. Mark that on your calendar. No, it's something sweeter than any of that. If my sense of timing and seasons is right, there's a day that will call for little sweet somethings whispered in somebody's ear for those of you who are married, for those of us who are married. Maybe some candy or chocolate. Maybe a dinner that is a class or two above McDonald's. What's coming up? Valentine's Day. And don't you forget it, especially you men. You're notorious for your forgetfulness sometimes, at least some of you. It's funny how a little detail can matter much. A little detail that's forgotten, maybe. But it's a good day to remember to love the one that the Lord has given you in marriage. I want to thank the Lord for my wife, Joy. The Lord has blessed me beyond measure that I can share life with Joy. Even when the little details get missed. She came to me the other day and she put this ring on my finger, if I can get it off now. This is not my wedding ring. I think it belonged to her dad, who was married 63 years to Joy's mom. But I lost my wedding ring. And so Joy, instead of being mad about that or in any way disagreeable, she's put up with me for a year or so, or 18 months, I don't remember, without a wedding ring. Whether I have a ring on or not, I love her, she loves me. 
and that's a gift from God. And I rejoice. James chapter 3 is not a passage about marriage or husbands and wives, but it is really. We're going to look beginning in verse 13, James 3, verse 13. As I read, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come to you with thanksgiving that our sins are forgiven in Christ. We thank you that we can come and encourage one another and be encouraged. We can come and pray together with faith. We can come and sing these songs of the faith to praise your holy name. And we can come and hear your word. And we pray, Lord, that you will use your word to bless us with what you desire in life, a real life lived in a real world with real issues, even the issues that may come in marriage. Lord, teach us today. Help us today, we pray. Guide us today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. We have heard a lot of good things and glorious things in these last weeks. The submission of a spirit-filled wife to her husband, as unto the Lord. And the love of a spirit-filled life toward his wife, as Christ even loved the church and gave himself up for her. We've heard of what it means to be a man leaving the household of his parents to begin a new household, founded and grounded on the word of God and on truth, and founded and grounded on a real love that the Lord plants in our hearts for one another. Glorious things we've pondered over, things that are a mystery. Our marriage is about the Lord Jesus, the Apostle Paul teaches us. Our marriage is about showing and displaying the reality of the love for Christ, for his church, and for the new life that we have in Christ, displayed in all of its splendor and all of its difficulties. The Bible and all that we've heard never has said to live as a husband or a wife is an easy thing, although I would testify it's pretty easy for me, with joy. Now, for those of you who don't have a wife like mine, I'm just pulling your leg. <laughs> we have wonderful sisters here, single and married, who love the Lord 
We have wonderful brothers here, single and married, who love the Lord. And will the Lord not, who has washed away our sins by his blood, will he not provide for us that which can help us and establish us in the faith as we live out this life, whether single or married, whether young or old, will he not provide us with what we need to live such a life? He will. He will. And he does. Men, what have you heard? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. How's your harshness level, my brothers? How's the level of my heart and how I express myself with my wife? How I live with her with understanding is the way I'm to live with her. Hard things, not just glorious things, but hard things we have read. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Those are not easy words. Those are sometimes difficult words. Peter wrote those words just after writing that Christian citizens are to be subject to authorities, even the ones like the pagan Roman emperor who had little or no qualities to write home about. Now, our husbands in this room, we husbands, we're not little Caesars, but sometimes we act like little kings. How can a wife live with a little king who's not really a king at all, but is called to be a servant? What do you need, wives, to live that way? You need wisdom. What do you need, husbands, to live in a way that you can live with your wife with understanding? You need wisdom. I need wisdom. You need wisdom. Many of you pray for me, and many have come to me and said, how can I pray for you, Pastor Doug? And I usually will say, pray for wisdom. How I need wisdom. How you and I and all of us together need wisdom to live this life that we're called to live on this earth. Husbands, love your wives with, in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. In an understanding way, Oh, the man says, I do know my wife, and I do know her weakness. She's so emotional. I barely understand what it means to be a man. How in the world can I understand how I can know this woman? She heard that, brother. I've got a little box for a brain. And my wife has a mind and a brain like a superconducting computer with 48 meg of RAM. All the wives here and all the women here have that. Brothers, you better get some understanding on how to live with her and to honor her and to love her. 
What do we need? We need wisdom. We need wisdom. I think I remember Pastor Ryan addressing the false idea that being emotional equals weakness. It does not. And it might be that our wives who have to deal not only with their own emotions, but then also have to carry the emotions of their emotionless lugs of a husband. She's doing double duty. So live with her with understanding, brothers. And maybe open up a little bit. I'm preaching to myself. And learn to bear our own emotions with her help. Praise the Lord, she'll help you. Amen. So there, macho men. So strong. But so weak. We are. Lord, help us. How in the world can we live these things out? In a real life, in a real world, with our feet firmly on the ground, as dirty and messy as it is, and with our eyes on the Lord, without wisdom, we won't even look to the Lord. We'll think we've got it in our own hands and on our own backs without wisdom. So what do we do? We go to the Lord for that wisdom. And not just any old wisdom will do. We've got a simple outline, and the first point is this. We want to think about what in the world are we talking about wisdom? And then we want to think about and talk about that there are different kinds of wisdom. And so first, a definition. Wisdom is written a lot about in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is to fear God and to agree with and see the rightness of his ways. It is to know and understand truth as given to us by God and to discern how to apply that knowledge, not just have that knowledge, but to apply that knowledge in life, especially with those who are close to us and they see us and they hear our voice. Not just to know something, but to live it out in a real life, to apply it in a way that is done righteously and justly, that's wisdom. To have discernment, to be able to distinguish, is this true or is it not true? And how can I apply this truth to life? That's wisdom. There are a lot of different kinds of wisdom, but godly wisdom, God-given wisdom, God-backed wisdom, God-revealed wisdom in his word is that kind of a thing. And it's not to be bottled up and hidden, it's to be lived. It's to be shared as people watch us and people are watching us. There are different kinds of wisdom. We can't quote every passage of scripture that will describe or that list other kinds of wisdom, but here's a few. In 1 Corinthians chapter one, Paul the apostle writes, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? There is a wisdom of the world. A wisdom that is founded on the world, on the stuff of the world, on the philosophies of the world. 
there is a wisdom, and God even says, that's a wisdom, all right. But it's a wisdom of the world. That's not what we're looking for, of course. Wisdom of the world won't do. Won't do for anything. Won't help us in anything. Won't help us in any way. Won't help us whether we're single or whether we're married, whether we're young, whether we're old. Wisdom of the world. God says in Proverbs, no, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians, we're still talking about Paul, the wisdom of the world is folly with God. It is folly, it is foolish, it is useless, it is futile. It's good for nothing. The wisdom of the world. Paul also writes of the wisdom of men in 1 Corinthians chapter two. I was with you in meekness, in weakness, and in fear, and much trembling in my speech, he says, and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There is a wisdom that is called in the Bible the wisdom of men. It's limited by how much understanding men can have. And without the Spirit of God, that ain't much. The wisdom of men is opposite of the power of God. The wisdom of God will give us not just knowledge, but it will give us power to live the truth that's contained in the knowledge that God gives to us. The wisdom of men will not do that. Paul writes also in 2 Corinthians chapter two of another kind of wisdom that is fleshly wisdom which is centered on the desires of the flesh, not on the spirit of God. But praise God there's another kind of wisdom. Those are just a sprinkling of the different kinds of wisdom that we may encounter or that we may still possess. I'm, I'm just thinking this through. If we have the wisdom that God gives, does that mean that the wisdom, all the other kinds of wisdom that we may have embraced, that we may have lived out, that we may have based our lives on, suddenly vanish and fall away and we don't have to bother with them anymore? I don't, I don't know. I don't see a, a passage in scripture that just says, oh well, by the way, as soon as you are saved, the wisdom of God comes upon you and all that other stuff, it just vanishes. No, I think I remember things said by even this same apostle. He says, we are to put to death some things that were ours in the old days. We're to put to death the old man. And that may include, I think it does include, the wisdom of men that we once held on to. The wisdom of God is written to us, given to us by his spirit, as it is written by, again, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 6. He says among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. This, brothers and sisters, is the wisdom that we need to live a God-glorifying and husband and wife honoring life smack dab in the middle of all the earthly pull 
of the age we live in. And this wisdom is the wisdom that James writes about in our text. Wisdom that is from above. Look again at James 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now how's that for wisdom? How is that about what follows in verse 18? And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We need the wisdom that is from above in order that we may bring forth a harvest of righteousness and peace. The wisdom of the earth won't produce that. The wisdom of men won't produce that. The wisdom of the flesh won't produce that. The wisdom of this world won't produce that, but the wisdom of God will. And where does that wisdom come from? It comes from above. How are we to experience that? How, how are we to receive that? How are we to set that loose in our homes and in our families and in our relationships? And this wisdom, by the way, of course, is not just for married folks. It's for not just old folks or young folks or middle-aged folks, for everybody. No matter where you are in life, no matter how far along you've gotten in your Christian life, no matter if you're a new Christian or an old one, you need this kind of wisdom to lead this kind of life that will honor your Savior. We need that wisdom. And we need that harvest, a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of peace. Does your marriage need a harvest of peace? Does your marriage need a harvest of righteousness? How are you going to get it? I'm going to try real hard, Pastor. You've been trying real hard. I've been trying real hard. We need more than trying real hard. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. I want to live a life that brings forth a harvest of righteousness. I want to so live that the name of my Savior is made high and lifted up. I want to live and breathe in the fresh air of the Spirit of God in real fruit, in a pure and sincere way of thinking and speaking and acting and working and loving my wife. But how? How can it be done? By following the wisdom of the world? No, we've ruled that out. That wisdom flourishes in the environment of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. We're going to be able to bring forth a harvest of righteousness and peace in that way? Of course not. We know better. We know better. We will live our lives in the wisdom that God gives. So far we've seen that definition and we've seen the fact that there are different kinds of wisdom. And the wisdom that we need is the wisdom that comes from above. This wisdom has several characteristics. The first is this, it's from outside of us. The wisdom that we need is not in us naturally, it comes from outside of us. 
I mean, by the very definition, it's a wisdom that is from above. It's a wisdom that comes away from us. We can't manufacture it. We can't bring a formula. If I add a little of this, a recipe of that, bring it together, and voila, I have that wisdom. No, it's from outside of us. We cannot produce it. We cannot invent it. We cannot make a substitute for it. It comes from another. It's from above. It's not from the earth. The book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. And in Proverbs 2, verse 6, we read this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. You want wisdom, Emmanuel? This is not a rhetorical question. You want wisdom? Amen. I want wisdom. You must seek it outside of yourself. You must seek it from the word of God. It says, what, let me read that again. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now the Lord could, because he is God, he could zap us all tonight with a lightning bolt of wisdom. Might scorch us a bit, but the Lord doesn't seem to usually do that that way. What does he do? He's given us his word. And he gives us these hours that we can come together and hear the word of God preached. And he gives us the last hour where we can come together and hear the word taught in classrooms. He gives us brothers and sisters and GCGs and those who come over are friends in Christ and we fellowship around the word and we speak the word to one another in love and we gain wisdom. The wisdom that is from above, it's from outside of us. You remember that in this very book, the word of God speaks to wisdom and our need for it in chapter one. Turn to chapter one. And think about this very precious truth. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him or her. The wisdom that is from above is from outside of us, and it's something that we may lack, but something that we can ask for with the expectation that God will give his children his wisdom. But now wait a minute. You mean it's possible to be a Christian and lack wisdom? I thought that just came with the territory. I thought it just came with the air that we breathe. Why should we have to ask the Lord for wisdom? Why shouldn't we? He has it, he's willing to give it, and he calls us to ask him for it. As a child asked his father, and if a child asks his father for bread, will he give him bread? Or a stone, or a lizard, or a snake, or something else? Our father loves to bless his children. And when we ask our Father for the wisdom that we need, the wisdom that is from above, will he not give us that wisdom, church? He will. 
Lack of wisdom does not make you not a Christian. It makes you a needy Christian. Lack of wisdom does not make you not a Christian. It makes you a, a Christian who needs to go to his father and ask for wisdom. There was a church. Jesus, you know, spoke to, wrote to seven churches in the book of Revelation in the first, or in chapters two and three of Revelation. There's one of them called Laodicea, and they thought they had it made. They were proud and self-reliant. And Jesus said to them in Revelation 3, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may be hidden and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. And we may add, I counsel you to seek for me wisdom so that you may live the life I've called you to, single or married, young or old, husband or wife. We need wisdom. The wisdom from above has a lot of different characteristics. One of them is it's, it's from outside of us. Another one is this, it's a discernible wisdom. It can be seen. It's a discernible wisdom. It can be observed. It is to be lived out and not hidden. Again, Pastor Ryan said that the difficulty is that the wise ones the wise ones among us, those who are truly wise with the wisdom of God, the wisdom that is from above, are sometimes a little bit hidden because they're not out to be spotted. They don't wear a banner across their forehead or a sweatshirt that says, I possess the wisdom that is from above. And I am a wise woman, I am a wise man. So they're a little bit hard to find if you're looking for it that way but you can follow them around and you can see it written all over them. Because the wisdom from above, the wisdom that God gives is lived out in full and living color. It can't be helped. It is a wisdom that is living wisdom. Comes from a living God and it is displayed in a real life. It's discernible. And yet, back in our passage in James 3, it says in verse 13, who is wise and understanding? Ask the question, who are they? I wanna find them. I wanna learn from them. I want to rub elbows and shoulders with them. I wanna ask them to pray for me. I wanna learn from them, but who are they? Well, they're the ones who are, by their good conduct, showing their works in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom. When God gives us this wisdom from above, it's to be displayed, yes, but it's displayed in meekness. Don't any of us go around tooting our horns to say, did you notice the wisdom that I used when I was dealing with that guy over there? If anybody starts talking that way, we will have failed in our mission today. 
The wisdom that is from above is meek. It's displayed, but it's displayed in meekness. It's seen, it's discernible. This book of James is a very practical book. And what is true of wisdom is true of other aspects of this life that we live in Christ. James writes in chapter 2 and verse 18 about faith. And he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Brother Charles, show me your wisdom apart from works and I'll show you my wisdom by my works. God calls for this wisdom to be lived out and displayed for everyone to see, not to our praise, but to the praise and the glory of God. The question that James asked, who is wise and understanding among you, is not out of the blue written here. Look in chapter 3, just above there. It talks about a forest and a blaze. Talks about how in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life. These are Christians he's talking to. And yet they've got to struggle against that. They've got to fight that fight to hold their tongue and to not let their raging tongues of fire burn up an entire forest or an entire marriage? I ask the question again, husbands, what's the level of your harshness? If you'd have to say, if we'd have to say, well, it's been not so good as I would like for it to be, it's been a bit too hot. How are we going to combat that? We need wisdom. We need the wisdom that comes from above. And even in the midst, even in the context of all that he says here, how that horses need bits and we can turn a horse. Oh, a little bit can turn a big horse. But a little fire can burn a whole forest. We need wisdom. And this wisdom that is from outside of ourselves and it is discernible is to be a wisdom that is to be cultivated and not neglected. The one who walks in these God-enabled ways shows his work, so it's to be cultivated. Again, verse 13, by his good conduct, he's conducting himself in this wisdom. By his good conduct, he's conducting himself intentionally, purposely. It's not something that we can neglect. It's not something that we can say, well, I'll try it today without it. No, we cannot live in that way. It's a wisdom that is fitting right where we live. It's a wisdom that's not to be neglected. Someone may say, since God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and since Paul says that Christ himself, in 1 Corinthians 1, he has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, then we can just drift, can we? 
No, the wisdom that is from above is not to be neglected. You remember a man named Solomon in the Old Testament was called the wisest man of his time. In fact, the Lord Jesus said there was none like him. There was none like him, he was wise. And you know what? Solomon was wise when he was wise. But he wasn't wise all the time. Why? Because he neglected the wisdom that God gave him. He asked for wisdom. He did what our word says that we've read this morning. If any of you lack wisdom, Solomon stood before the Lord and said, I lack wisdom. He was a new king. He said, I don't know how to do this. I'm way over my head. God, please give me wisdom. And God said, because you've asked for wisdom and not for riches, not for long life, not for the lives of your enemies, I'll give you that wisdom. And he did. And he was a wise man. He displayed it. There's story after story about the wisdom of Solomon. And he was wise until he wasn't. The wisdom of God given to us a man like we are who's still prone to make mistakes if we want to clean it up that way. But no more than that, still quite capable of sin. Is not something that we can just say, well, I've got it and God gave it to me, so I'll just put it on cruise. No, it's got to be cultivated, developed, lived out. And it's cultivated and developed and lived out in the context of a real life. And if you are married, it's lived out and cultivated and developed in the context of a marriage that might be filled with difficulties and even with trials. And again, even this book begins in a certain way. Look back again at James chapter 1. Our brother Ryan preached about this 10 years ago. I looked up my notes. Those of you who are, look, are writing down notes, your notes can become valuable if you keep them. Trouble is, you all put your notes on these little cell phones and things like that, and I don't, want, I don't know what's going to happen to them. But if you're old school like me, I write them down on paper, and I can go back and find them. They're in these little notebooks. And so I went back to my little notebook, and I said, I think Ryan preached on this, and I found out it was 2013, 10 years ago. And he said, James, the author of this book, didn't begin with our devotions or our quiet times but he started off with our trials. James 1, chapter 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Right in the middle, the context of asking God for wisdom is in the middle of not devotional time. It's in the middle of trial time, testing time, hardship time, 
difficult time, that's when we ask for wisdom because that's when we need it. And not only then, we need it for all of life and every moment, good or bad, difficult or easy, easy. We need the wisdom of God. James does not say, blessed is the woman, blessed is the man who has enough faith so that all the testing and trials are removed so he doesn't have to go through them. No, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so God has ordained a trial or a testing for you and me. It might be in the context of marriage. And it's right there that we do what? We say, God, I need wisdom. Give me that wisdom or I cannot live this life you've called me to. But praise God. He not only saves us and brings us to himself, he provides all that we need to live this life for his glory. To live this life as a husband, to love my wife as Christ loved the church. To live a life of a, a spirit-filled wife who can be submissive to her husband and respect him with that wisdom that God gives. Let me end it this way. As we apply what we've read, there's an upward focus of the Christian life. If we go around this life with our eyes down, looking earthward, or our eyes sideways, looking to one another for the wisdom or the provision that we can give one another, it's good to have brothers and sisters that we can look to. But there's an upward call of the Christian life, is there not? The wisdom we need is from above. The life that we need is from above. If we then are risen with Christ, set your mind, your affections, look to the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Oh, we need the wisdom of God. There is an upward call to this life. Who is it that the Lord has promised to give this crown of life that he spoke of in James in the midst of all these trials, in the midst of all the need of wisdom that we have, it is those who love him, those who love him. We've been so loved by a savior who gave himself for us. We love him because he first loved us. And now as he's enabled us, we want to live a life that will glorify him. And we need wisdom. Let's go to him and ask for it and he will give it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy today. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. He shed his blood to wash away our sins. And Father, as your children, we are needy. We wanna live for your glory. We wanna love you not with our words only, but with our lives, and we need wisdom. Help every single man, every single woman, every married man, every married woman, every child, every older person, Lord, to receive this wisdom and to live it out for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.